Welcome to Envision Community Church's Ridiculous Love Podcast. Whether you attend our Longmont-based services or tune in online, we're so glad that you're here as part of our funky and fully affirming church today. We begin each of our podcasts just as we begin each of our services with our ethos. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ plus and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. If you'd like to financially contribute to our church and our partners, you can text any amount to 84321. And now, on to this week's sermon. Welcome everybody, I'm Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here, and tonight we're continuing our sermon series on the Gospel of John with a dive into chapter 13. Many of us here have heard this telling by John of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples lots of times, and a few of you just got really nervous that I'm about to bring out a basin of warm water <laughs> and ask if I can wash your feet, and those people don't know me very well. <laughs> I mean, I will do like a lot of things in humble service to this community, but your feet are not my go-to. I would wash your feet if God asked me to, like very directly from a burning bush. <laughs> and like if you had washed your feet very well right beforehand, or maybe like we all did a group pedicure outing right before. <laughs> I promise that I will full out dunk you in a lake this summer at our baptism service if you want me to. But for tonight, your feet and I are safe from each other. And why I am very clearly not trying to bring a foot washing service to ECC, I really do love this passage. Jesus does this incredibly intimate act of care for his friends when he, know that it, he knows that it's almost time to leave and go be with God. And he does this act of care when he knows that he is about to be let down and betrayed and denied by those same friends. And to ground you in this story, I'm going to ask you to sit back and listen to a creative imagining of John 13 by the writer Max Lucado. If it feels comfy to you, you can close your eyes. You can even take off your shoes if you want to like method act your way into this a little bit. But I want you to try to enter the story with me and imagine yourself as one of the disciples of Jesus. It's been a long, hot day. Jerusalem is packed with Passover guests, most of whom clamor for just a glimpse of the teacher. The spring sun is warm and the streets are dry and the disciples are a long way from home. A splash of cool water would be so refreshing and the disciples enter the room one by one and they take their places around the table and on the wall hangs a towel and a basin and a pitcher and any one of them could volunteer to do this job, but nobody does. And after a few minutes, Jesus himself stands and removes his outer garment. He wraps a servant's girdle around his waist, and he takes up the basin, and he kneels before one of the disciples. He unlaces their sandal, and he gently lifts their foot and places it in the basin, covers it with water, and begins to bathe it. One grimy foot after another, Jesus works his way down the row. 
In Jesus' day, the washing of feet was a task reserved not just for servants, but for the lowest of the servants. And in this case, the one with the towel and basin doing the grimy work is the king and creator of our universe. The hands that shaped the stars now wash away the filth. The fingers that formed mountains now massage toes. And the one before whom all nations will one day kneel now kneels before his followers. Hours before his own death, Jesus' concern is singular. He wants his disciples to know how much he loves them. You can be sure that Jesus knows the future of these feet he is washing, these feet that will dash for cover at the flash of a Roman sword. Only one pair of those feet won't abandon him in the garden. Judas will abandon Jesus this very night at the table. What a passionate moment when Jesus silently lifts the feet of his betrayer and washes them in the basin. Jesus knows what his friends are about to do. By morning, they will bury their heads in shame and look down in their feet at disgust. And when they do, that is not where Jesus wants it to end. He wants them to remember how his knees knelt before them and how he washed their feet. He forgave their betrayal before they even committed it. He offered mercy before they even knew to seek it. Okay, you can open your eyes. You don't have to put your shoes back on. But I want you to hear that he offered the mercy before they even knew to seek it. Because that, that is the shape of our God. Can you call to mind the last time that you took hands-on care of somebody else's body? If you're the parent of a young child, this might happen so frequently that it is second nature to wipe a nose or give a bath or clean up spit up. Maybe you're the adult child of an aging parent and that cycle of care is coming back around full circle. For me, it was splinting Beck's recent and epic football trampoline injury. Football trampoline injury. That act of mercy also came with a lecture about, you know, executive judgment. <laughs> to love other humans often involves care for their bodies. And for me, this scripture has always brought me back to one little daily way that my father took care of me when I was little. I studied ballet from the age of four all the way through college, and it was not unusual for my feet to be all blistered and bleeding and often missing a nail or two. My feet could do beautiful things, but my feet were and are not beautiful things. Mary Oliver writes that if you've been to the woods with her, she must love you. Well, if you've seen my feet, same. <laughs> but when I was growing up, my dad was a triathlete, so his feet looked a lot like mine. And when we get home from our long day of school and running and dance class, my dad would fill up our tub with about six inches of the hottest water that we could stand. And we would sit on the edge of that tub, and we would soak our feet, and we would talk about our days. Now, my dad didn't actually wash my feet. I did that for myself. But he created this caring space that was between the journey of the day that was behind us and the one that came next. A space where my weary toes were not something that had to be bandaged right up or balanced upon. 
because he knew that tomorrow's balancing act was going to come soon enough. And when your feet feel better, the next step is easier to take. And I think that Jesus knew the disciples' next steps were going to be hard. Like, he knew what was coming. He knew that their feet were already so tired that even in his hour of greatest sorrow, when all he asked of them was to stay awake and pray for him, that sleep would get the better of them. Jesus knew that one of them would deny him three times. He knew that one of them would betray him. He knew that many of them would watch him suffer horribly and die. There's lots of biblical commentaries about this excuse me, foot washing passage that talk about ritual purification and the metaphor of the living water of Christ or about humble service in ministry, which always leads to the foot washing service. But I prefer to interpret this passage like this. Jesus wanted the feet of the disciples to feel a little better because he knew their next steps were going to be very hard because their next steps were to witness his crucifixion, to grieve the loss of their beloved teacher, to be baffled and then delighted by his resurrection, to make their tender and confused farewells at his ascension, to wait through nine long days of imperfect understanding all the way to Pentecost and the coming of the one that Jesus promised would come back and be forever with them. And then, only then, after all those hard steps, would their work begin of spreading the gospel, of building the church that leads us through space and time to this very room and this very community worshiping tonight. In the washing of the feet, I believe that Jesus wanted to create a simple space of care where the disciples felt loved by their God between the journey of the hard days that were behind them and the hard ones he knew to come. If offering mercy before we ask for it is the shape of our God, so is caring for us so we can last on hard journeys. As another example of that, which is not about feet at all, I want to turn to 1 Kings and the prophet Elijah. This is the story of Elijah being called into the presence of God. And it's a story of God's care for our bodies that is just as striking as Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Elijah had just fled into the wilderness. He'd ran all day. He collapsed under a tree, and he just prayed to die. He was utterly discouraged. He felt he had not done well with what God had called him to do. He was run down, and he was alone, and he was done, and shame was winning. I think we've probably all had moments like this where we've poured it all out for something, something that we care about, only to find ourselves in that pit of thinking, it wasn't enough, and how quickly shame makes that into, I wasn't enough. And what God does next is so lovely that I come back to it every time I'm worn out. God sends an angel to instruct Elijah on how to care for his body an actual angel. And the angel finds him and wakes him up from his discouraged tossing and turning, and Elijah sees that the angel has made him cake and brought him a drink. And by the way, by this definition, MJ is our resident angel. <laughs> I mean, just look at the angel in the painting. It's not a terrible rendering. It just needs like a rainbow unicorn onesie, margarita blender maybe, and we're all set. 
But the angel gently wakes Elijah and says, if you don't take care of your body, the journey into God's presence is going to be too much for you. And he reminds Elijah that what God has asked of him to come into God's presence, he hasn't failed at yet. He just needs to keep going. And to keep going, he needs to take care of himself. And then the angel allows Elijah to fall back to sleep because our God is a God who believes in the restorative power of foot baths and cake and drinks and naps. And the angel comes back after his nap and encourages Elijah to eat again, saying, Arise and eat, because this journey is going to be long for you. So to come back to Jesus and his disciples, it was as if God was saying to them, Sit down and rest. Let me care for your body, because the journey is going to be long for you. I want to read the, just the opening verse of John chapter 13. Now before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to his Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This verse begins the second half of the Gospel of John. Jesus' public ministry is over at this point. He is now turning inward towards his disciples, trying to teach them and prepare them for all that is about to come. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That world translated here as end is the Greek word telos, which can mean end, but can also mean purpose. So we can read this verse two ways. Jesus loved his disciples to the end of his life, or Jesus loved his disciples for this was his purpose. And so as his earthly life was drawing to a close, Jesus chooses to live out his purpose, to lavish them with love. Mary of Bethany might have given him the idea a few days before by washing Jesus' feet with extravagant oil and drying his feet with her hair. It's worth noting that drying your feet with my hair is also something I will never do at an ECC foot washing service. <laughs> but much like Mary of Bethany and her oil, which was worth a whole year's wages, you've heard Paula preach on that, there was an extravagance in Jesus performing this act for his disciples. It was the embodied God serving God's people through the most humble act of bodily service. It was ridiculous love defined. And more so, as he does it, John tells us he knew full well that they would betray him. God loves and cares for us even when we fall short of loving God well. And once he'd shown them that, he commanded his disciples, do as I have done to you. So what did he mean by that? He called his disciples to ridiculous love for each other to be each other's angels. He calls us to care for the needs of each other without knowing if we're going to even be given basic kindness in return. To take care of each other, even when people fall short of loving us well. And in this act, to his friends who he knew would fall short of loving him well, I found some clarity in Jesus' challenging call to love all of our neighbors. He doesn't call us to feel affection for everybody we meet or know in every moment, because that would be a call to inauthenticity for most of us. 
He rather calls us to act in as loving a way as we can with everyone that we meet. He sends us to each other as teachers, as encouragers, as truth bearers, as truth holders, as huggers and handholders, and last but definitely not least, gentle and fierce bearer of cake and drinks. <laughs> Why? To remind us that on this long journey into God's presence, which is a mutual journey we are all on, God calls us to take care of each other and to take care of ourselves. We're called to build healthy relationships and to build healthy boundaries, and he reminds us that God's mercy awaits us before we fall short of loving each other well, which we will. In fact, I believe that for our God, there is no failure if we're trying and learning from the trying. For our closing prayer today, I want to read you a poem that is a litany of these small acts of mutual care. And I want to ask you, in the week ahead, this first week of Lent, which we don't practice in the, in the usual denominational way here at Envision Community Church, not to give something up, as most people do in this season, but to give something, some small kindness to ourselves and to others to approximate the shape of our God's love for each other here. Will you pray with me? This is Small Kindnesses by Danusha Lamaris. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by, or how strangers still say bless you when somebody sneezes, a leftover from the bubonic plague, don't die, we're saying. Sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it to us, to smile at them and for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder, and for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now so far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat, go ahead, you first. I like your hat. Amen. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. To learn more, go to envisioncommunitychurch.org or facebook.com forward slash envisioncommunitychurch. Thank you for joining us.